The following Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, March 20th, 2023. The woman in your life will do what she must do To comfort you and calm you down And let you rest now The woman in your life, she can rest so easily She does everything you do Because the woman in your life is you. Welcome to Women's Spaces. My name is Elaine B. Holtz, and I'm your host. With me at the board is my friend, my partner, my engineer, and co-producer, Ken Norton. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, Elaine. Oh, what a nice day it is here in Sonoma County. And it's amazing when we were driving down to look at the clouds. And I said to myself, we are in a great mystery. And before I tell folks about uh, who my guest is and what's happening with the show today, I I need to make a comment uh, after listening to uh, Amy Goodman about plastic. You know, one of the things that the woman that she was interviewing said, that it takes political will in order for us to change the environment so we would be a little bit safer from climate change. I mean, can you believe that political will? I mean, what political will do you need to make a, a planet safe? What political will do you need to be uh, to assure a future for our children? I do not understand that. We elect these people to represent us, to protect us. And it seems like all they are doing right now is representing themselves and protecting themselves. And we, the people, have got to stand up and say, we voted for you to have political will. So let's get to work. I mean, that's just a little comment I have to make because when I heard that, for some reason, it just, it just made my hair stand on end on my arm. I just got so angry about it, political will. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. Anyway, I'm really excited about today's show. Joining me on the phone will be Rosita Stevens-Holsley, who is a dynamic educator, writer, activist, and niece of attorney civil rights uh, woman, uh, poet, and one of the co-founders of the National Organization for Women Now, Reverend Dr. Polly Murray, will be talking about her Aunt Polly, who contributed so much during the civil rights and women's movement. And this is my second interview with her. And the one thing that I remember about Rosita was when she was telling me that her Aunt Polly called her on the air and said, I'd like you to come to lunch with me. So she took the train up to Washington, D.C. That's where she was. And they went to lunch. And all of a sudden, she walks in. She she was only 13 years old, and there was Eleanor Roosevelt. So she said she never forgot that. So I know this is going to be an absolutely wonderful interview. Well, also joining me this morning in the studio, and she's just looking at me right now, is my dear friend, uh, Susan uh, Lamont. And we're going to be talking about a... Uh, a who benefits from forever wars based on lies, which is very, very interesting to me because, you know, when you, when you start thinking about things, you turn on the radio, you turn on television, you don't know what's truth and what's lies. I mean, it's, it's so confusing lately, and I think that is the goal of these people is to confuse us so we can't think clear and then meanwhile they're just coming in and sneaking in and doing all the different things that they do so there's going to be a stop the war rally and that's going to be on saturday march 25th from 1 to 3 p.m it's going to be at courthouse square in santa rosa and that's what susan's going to be talking about and 
there, I, I believe we're going to have a guest from KPFA, a Dennis Bernstein, who's going to be speaking. So without further ado, uh, I have a special guest in the studio with me, Susan Lamont. Susan, good morning and welcome. Welcome to, to Women's Spaces. Thank you. Nice to be back again. Well, you know, Susan is, a, is an activist in our community. She's curren- currently affiliated with the Sonoma County Green Party. In fact, it was very interesting. We had the election. She's the only person I, I actually knew personally, as personally as I knew when she was on the ballot. So she actually is part of Sonoma County's Green Party. She's been very active and, and really dedicated to the Police Brutality co- uh, Coalition, and she's also a member of Veterans for Peace. And I would I would, I would put her on the top of the list as a true peace uh, activist, excuse me. And Susan has been incredibly involved with bringing about law enforcement accountability and oversight. I mean, I can't begin to tell you during the Andy Lopez situation how many meetings Susan and I sat through, how many meetings we talked, how many meetings we were insulted, how many meetings we were threatened. But the downside was every meeting we had a sandwich. (laughs) If you can remember that. I told that to John Alden. I said, you know, when we used to come to these meetings, we got sandwiches. He said, oh, okay, maybe. <laughs> right. You know, that was so funny. I remember when I first had a sandwich, and I was I was kind of shy. You know, I thought this big table with all these all this food on it. Well, why not? <laughs> anyway, Susan, I understand there's going to be a long-awaited war protest, you know, and I know there's a lot of confusion. I know for myself, you know, uh, I mean, I talked to a, a real, real close friend of mine who is a, what I consider, I call him a socialist, and he he was in favor of what's happening in Ukraine, and then other people are are unhappy about it. So you know, I hear I hear Amy Goodman talking about it. I hear Jill Stein talking about it now, and I've heard you talk about it. But the bottom line is, all wars are no good. I mean, no matter what is going on, and you know, I keep thinking about this thing about political will. You know, I don't understand. Maybe it's a man thing. <laughs> you know, that, that you can't sit down at a table and say, this is what's happening. Why can't we work it out? I mean, when you look at the suffering and all that's going on, it's really amazing. So talk about what is happening and why all of a sudden here we are having an anti-war protest, which has been a long time coming. Well, it's not exactly all of a sudden because we are actually out there every single weekend. Oh, really? We are out there from 1130 to 1 every Saturday in Courthouse Square, unless it's pouring rain. Uh, but there are like three to five of us, something like that. <laughs> but it's been happening since Putin invaded Ukraine. It's been every weekend. Well, also, you know, the, the sad part about it is, is when you when you look at it and you see the destruction and you see what's happening with women and children, particularly, it is really, it is really hard. Yeah. Well, talk about the protest. Talk about who's going to be there. What your goal is. What you'd like to see happen. Well, our goal is essentially, I'll I'll say that yesterday was the twentieth anniversary of uh, the day that Bush uh, invaded Iraq. And on the 29th will be the 50th anniversary of the day the last soldiers were brought out of Vietnam. So this event on the 25th is happening right between those two anniversaries. And both of those wars, we know, were based on lies. And essentially every war in between has been based on lies. And I want people to understand that the current war is based on lies. No matter 
which side of this argument you stand on. Um, if you're not acknowledging that there's lying on the part of the United States, even if you even if you support um, fighting back, even if you support continuing the war, which an amazing number of peace people apparently do, uh, the amount of, the the lies that are building up are phenomenal and. They're, they're all based on lies. And as I, I'm trying to remember which CIA director said, we'll know we've succeeded when everything the American people believe is false. Oh, well, that gave me a chill. That was like 30 years ago. But that gave me a chill. Right. I mean, and also, when you start thinking about it, when they talk about, we just saw All's Quiet on the Western Front. Oh, mm-hmm. You know, and it's a remake of the, I mean, when you see the Oh, first I saw one, the original yeah, one. Yeah, the original one is, is heartbreaking. And also, uh, Ken, uh, Ken, my co-producer, he was uh, mentored by a man by the name of William Hermont, who wrote about World War One when he was in Verdun, and really gave you the gave you the sense and the feeling what it was like to be in a war, and not only that from. Hermann's perspective, when he was walking through, I forget what city it was, he, he ran into a woman that was carrying a child, and she looked at him with such terror, and he said to himself, you know, here he thought he was going to get, he wanted to get the Iron Cross, you know, he was, he was fighting for the Kaiser, and when he looked at that woman, it was like in that moment his whole life changed, because he really realized what war was all about. It's a right. disaster. Right, and it's a disaster um, from the Russian standpoint, it's disaster from the Ukrainian standpoint. It's a disaster for the United States financially, uh, and uh, all of, all of them are. Every single one is. So um, we're basically coming together, no matter where you stand on, on which one of these wars, to say we need to know the truth about what's happening. And basically, for me, what the truth is that these wars are conducted to enrich the military, industrial, and now we've we've expanded that, um, military, industrial, financial, media uh, complex, and um, essentially to promote U.S. hegemony in the world that the United States believes with its rules-based order, you know, its rules, uh, that it has the right to say what should be happening in every single country in the world and that no one else, no other country has a right to stand on its own and say no. And that's basically what it's all about. And it has been for a very, very long time. After after World War II was won, the United States looked around and said, hey, we can take advantage of this. This is going to be really cool. We can get rich on this. Well, you know, it's real interesting. You know, yesterday was my birthday. Yep. By the way, I want to thank all everybody out there that wished me a happy birthday. I didn't know I had so many friends. I mean, it's amazing. I used to think nobody liked me, you know, and then all of a sudden all these cards and all these little whoopies showing up. And, you know, as you're sitting here and you're saying that, I'm thinking, you know, I was born in 1940, and that's when the United States was contemplating going to war. You know, there was a lot of protesting, and also during that time, you know, at very Shortly after that, I think it was the next year, 19, was it 41 or 42, where they had Pearl Harbor? 41. Yeah, 41. And I remember, I remember even as a, as, as a two-year-old, you know, all of a sudden we would go and block out the whole house, you know, because they were afraid the Japanese were coming over in planes. And I remember as I got older, especially when, when we were protesting the Vietnam War, that's when I really became aware that from the moment of my birth, 
to this point here, right now. Yeah. I'm 83 years old. 83 years old, folks, and we are still warring. I yep. mean, it makes no sense to me. It really does not make any sense to me. Well, the, an interesting parallel is, is um, the United, one of the things that kept the United States from entering World War II is it couldn't uh, vocalize an opposition to what was happening to the Jews in Nazi Germany because there were people who turned to the United States and said, well, look what you are doing to black people and brown people in your country. That there was an hypocrisy that would be verbalized more strongly if the United States had had entered for those reasons, and it took, you know, something on the other coast <laughs> to happen before we could enter the war. And right now, what we're hearing is, if 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 ever I say to somebody, "But the United States is doing X," this is hypocrisy. I'm told the. The word that came up like within weeks, you know, some PR firm undoubtedly came up with it. What aboutism? You're not allowed to talk about what about the United States. We're not allowed to discuss what the United States does in the world. We're wow. only allowed to discuss what Russia does in the world. That is so crazy. You know, I was thinking about it. I was thinking uh, when I was writing a piece, you know, I was, I had this funny dream and I wrote this piece and I said, I'm so tired of the word socialism, communism, you know, <laughs> democracy, you know, capitalism. I thought, God, why don't we have a thing called humanism, you know, <laughs> where, where we start looking at the planet that we're a bunch of human beings just living here trying to survive. And, you know, folks, you know, if we don't pay attention you know, we got the nuclear co- uh, clock, and it's yep. the nuclear clock is about three seconds to doom. I mean, that is very frightening, you know, when you start thinking about it. And, you know, I often think about it myself. I think, you know, what if we had an accident? Or, I mean, and all these computers, I mean, last for the last two shows, we were hardly able to be on the air because our phones were down, you know. And so all of a sudden, you know, you start thinking about the dangerous situation that we're in. Well, we're coming to the yep. end of this segment very quickly, so talk about who's going to be there what are some of the things that are going to happen and 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 give a little sh- a little spiel to get okay, people okay, to get well, off their duffs and get out there <laughs> well we are we are going to have a whole bunch of uh, anti-war music across the decades um, we are going to have Dennis Bernstein from KB- KPFA I'll be speaking and uh, Evan Phillips who is a uh, a local DJ and nonviolence trainer. He's going to be speaking, making the connection between war and, and law enforcement. And we'll uh, have an open mic. So we're encouraging people, particularly have poetry, if you want to come and talk about the connection between war and the environment. We're not going to give you, a, you know, a long, long speech time, but you have a few minutes. So there will be that. Uh, and we are hoping a couple of rappers have sort of said maybe. <laughs> they haven't committed yet, so we're not sure. But um, there's going to be a lot of variety. And the point is, you know, we didn't end the Vietnam War right away. It took a lot of different efforts from a lot of different angles to to bring that war to an end. And, you know, no one faction can, can, can say, oh, well, we did it. Um, so there, there was we, accumulation yeah, of it a was. Lot of so that is what we're saying is we need to do this again. This has to happen again. And everybody's efforts um, are appreciated. And fingers crossed, 
well, you know, we'll make the difference again. I want to say one thing. You know, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I actually read a poem at the Peace and, and Freedom Party, their first meeting in Elysian Park in Los Angeles. Hello, my dear son. I'm so glad you're here for you. I waited for almost a year. You're so perfect and pink in every way. I can't tell you how much I love you, but, oh, my God, I looked at yesterday's mothers and their sons, and, my God, they're all carrying guns. And, you know, that was I read that poem almost 50 years ago. Actually, yep. over 50 years ago, because in August I will be 50 years in Sonoma County. So it was about maybe 60 years ago mm-hmm. that I read that poem yeah. in Elysian Park, and here we are once again. Yeah. Well, any last words? You know, the, the, we, the, uh, the protest is going to be in downtown so- Santa Rosa mm-hmm. at uh, Courthouse Square, you know, and uh, like Susan one, said. One to three. One to three, and it's very important. Bring your poetry, bring mm-hmm. your signs, you know. That's right. And remember, what you're really out there for is that no more lies no more wars that's right i like that no more lies no more wars you know make the world safe for our children you know susan and i are both grandmothers i'm a great grandmother and oh my god it's amazing i'd I'd, I'd, I'd like to point out that there's a list of requirements to belong to nato and one of them is choosing to be being committed to negotiating before resorting to violence by that standard the united states doesn't qualify to be in NATO. So I just want to leave with that note. Well, thank you so much, Susan. <laughs> so. And another reminder, another reminder, it's going to be the date again is this Saturday. This Saturday, the 20- Courthouse Square, 1 to 3. Looking forward to it and yeah. looking forward. In fact, I'm glad they're going to have an open mic because there's one, there's one poem I'm going to write where I read where I end, all wars are fought in the name of peace. <laughs> Amazing. Thank yeah. you so much, Susan. Okay, Lamont. thank you. Well, Lots going on in our country, lots going on in our community. And once again, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for all the wonderful, wonderful birthday uh, acknowledgments and all the wonderful things that we did. Well, you know, like I always do, I always do our, our history is our strength. And today, March 20th, 1852, Harriet Beecher Stowe's novel, Uncle Tom's Cabin, was published and became the best-selling book of the 19th uh, of the 19th century. And it's, it's really interesting when you think about it. You know, here there was such an impact, and, you know, and here we fought, a, we fought a war to end slavery, and it feels like people are still enslaved. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. And also, you know, it's real interesting. I, my birthday is March 18th, so I always like to find out, well, who was born on March 18th? And in March 18th, 1964, uh, it was very interesting. Uh, actually, she wasn't born. This is what happened in March. 18, 1964, Bonnie Blair, speed skater, one of the most successful winter Olympians in the United States history, won five, she was a five-time uh, gold medal, a medalist, which is really amazing. And then also, happy birthday, March 25th, happy birthday to uh, Gloria Steinen, uh, women's rights activist and journalist, founding editor of Miss Magazine, and uh, she helped find the National Women's Political Caucus, the Women's Action Alliance, and the Coalition of Labor Union Women. Well, that's it. You know, we're still in Women's History Month, and to uh, to continue the celebration, you know, Women's History Month actually was born here in Sonoma County. I just think it's amazing. So to ce- celebrate Women's History Month, I'm going to be talking with uh, my next guest who will be joining me on the phone is uh, Rosita Stevens-Holsley. She's a dynamic educator, writer, activist, and niece of attorney, uh, attorney civil rights, women's rights, activist, poets, and the 
the co-founder of the National Organization for Women Now, uh, Reverend Dr. Polly Murray. And we'll be talking about her Aunt Polly, uh, who contributed so much during the civil rights and women's movement. And to honor Dr. Murray, the piece I will be playing right now, we're going to take a musical break before we get... uh, before we get uh, to the phone with uh, with Rosita, we're going to play Dark Statement, which was actually written by Dr. Polly Murray and is sung by Rashad and Courtney. So let's go ahead, Ken, and play that song, and let's get Rosita on the phone. Hope is a crushed dock between clenched fingers. Hope is a bird's wing, broken by a stone. Hope is a word in a tuneless ditty, a word whispered with the wind. A dream of forty acres and a mule, a cabin of one's own and a moment to rest. A name and a place for one's children. And children's children at last. Hope is a song in a weary throat. Give me a song of hope and a world where I can sing it. Give me a song of faith and a people to believe in it. Give me a song of kindliness and a country where I can live it. Give me a song of hope and love and a brown girl's heart to hear it. I sing of a new American, separate from all others, yet enlarged and diminished by all others. I am the child of kings and serfs, freemen and slaves, having neither superiors nor inferiors, progeny of all colors, all cultures, all systems, all beliefs. I have been enslaved, yet my spirit is unbound. I have been cast aside. I sparkle in the darkness. I have been slain, but live on in the rivers of history. I seek no conquest, no wealth, no power, no revenge. I seek only discovery of the illimitable heights and depths of my own being. Hope is a crushed stalk between clenched fingers. Hope is a bird's wing broken by a stone. Hope is a word in a tuneless ditty. A word whispered with the wind, a dream of 40 acres and a mule, a cabin of one's own and a moment to rest, a name and a place for one's children, and children's children 
at last. Hope is a song in a weary throat. Oh, my goodness. From the words of Dr. Polly Murray, a bit of trivia. Dr. Murray was appointed by President John F. Kennedy to serve on the 1961 to 1963 Presidential Commission on the Status of Women. In 1966, she was one of the co-founders of the National Organization of Women and with Ruth, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg named Murray as a co-author of the ACLU brief in the landmark 1971 uh, court case, uh, Reed versus Reed. What a woman, and we're going to be talking about her. For you just joining, I want to remind my listeners the opinions expressed here are not necessarily the opinions of the station, its board of directors, its members are Women's Spaces. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces, and without further ado, I want to introduce my next guest on the phone with me is Rosita Stevens-Holsley. Welcome, Rosita. Welcome to Women's Spaces. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Oh, I'm so happy to hear your voice. I just love you. Anyway, before we start, may I tell my folks a little bit about you, our listeners? Certainly. Rosita Stevens-Holsley is a dynamic educator, writer, activist, and community engager focused on sharing stories of historical and pioneering voices for children and adults to be inspired by. In the spirit of enhancing the legacy of her aunt, Reverend Polly Murray, Rosita has co-authored with Terry Casitas Jennings a biography entitled Polly Murray, The Life of a Pioneering Feminist and Civil Rights Activist. And I have to say, folks, Folks, I read the book, and it, it's just fabulous. So much. I mean, it's so inspiring. Uh, Rosita holds a B.S. in science and education from uh, the State University of New York and a master's in counseling and human services from Boston University. Rosita is president and founder of Preserving Polly Murray, LLC, and is a proud board member of the National Women's History Alliance of Santa Rosa, California, and the Polly Murray Center for History and Social Justice in Durham, North Carolina. Carolina. Wow, wow. Anything you'd like to add, Rosita? (laughs) Oh, well, that's so sweet of you to mention that. Um, I am also one of the members of the Pauli Murray chapter of the Union of Black Episcopalians, and I'm very excited about that because they were the... um, Maryland chapter of UBE, and they chose several years ago to honor Aunt Polly and change the name of their chapter to the Polly Murray chapter. So I'm so excited, and I've been working with them ever since. Well, you mentioned the Episcopalians. Uh, thanks to you, this uh, tonight, uh, the uh, National Organization for Women, the Sonoma County chapter, is going to be featuring Dr. Catherine Meeks. And uh, she's also a dear friend of yours and also has written many books. And I look forward to that. At the end, of, at, at, For folks who want to find out more about that, just go to www.womenspaces.com. Well, uh, Rosita, let's talk, let's talk, let's start about, talk about what it was like as a young girl having uh, an aunt like Polly Murray. What did she inspire in you at that time? And, and what inspired you to write about her? Well, I was very inspired by her just in general um, as a person who was so committed to her work and she was uh, such a hard worker and thought, 
education was so important. So many of the conversations we had, even when I was a little girl, was about my interest in education and my desire to be a teacher. She thought that was uh, one of the best professions to be a part of. And also to uh, be interested in helping people and working with organizations that allowed young people to voice their opinions. So very early I got involved with the Junior Red Cross and stayed with them all the way through uh, junior high school and high school and became an officer. I uh, chose to pick two elderly uh, ladies in my uh, community and to always make sure they had the things they needed, including just having company. I was very involved with uh, student volunteer groups through my school and the community, and um, especially if they were involved in advocating uh, for uh, youth. Um, I think that the um, best that children um, should learn, or one of the things that children should learn, which is away from just their basic learning math and learning reading, is to um, never give up, to take each situation as a challenge and to work as hard as they can um, through it. So many young people um, have not, not had that opportunity, and that's one of the reasons that I thought it would be important to bring a book that children could understand and learn from, but also, more importantly, hopefully be inspired by. Well, you know, it's, for, you know, it's interesting when you talk about the book. You know, the book, was, like I know, was written for children, but it's absolutely so easy to read and so easy to absorb for adults. You know, I'm so tired when I look at a book with all these words, the way you have it written. It's just amazing. Well, you know, you know, one of Polly Murray's basic beliefs was together we rise. You know, I, I really believe, and I think that's what you're talking about, that what you, you getting involved, inspiring other people, yourself being inspired to rise to, to do more. What, what do you believe that meant by that statement? And in today's world, what do you, why do you think that's important? Well, I think it's important um, for people to see themselves in positive ways and to also join others who are working to make the world a better place whether that's uh, through the law or through, you know, saving the environment or helping people learn to mediate things and get along uh, better. And for children in their formative years, I thought it would be so important to be able to read and learn about people like Aunt Polly, not just Aunt Polly, but people who I believe have done so much for the world and have um, values that really uplift and help. And she did, she learned very early on that one person cannot do everything. If you surround yourself with others that have the same interests and principle and values in a country like ours and in a world like ours, we can get so much more done. And so that was, um, you know, 
some of what I took away from that. Well, you know, it's collaborate with many people. You know, it's very interesting, you know, meeting you because Polly Murray, Dr. Polly Murray was definitely one of my heroes. And I found her, I found her when I became president of the National Organization for Women and I started doing the research on the, on the, on the organization and found out that she was one of the co-founders and actually writ, wrote the mission uh, for the organization. So that was a, a big deal to me to find this out, especially a woman of color, you know, because there was such, there were so many different, uh, different separations during that time, during the women's movement. And I know Dr. Murray decided that, you know, that you couldn't have, it was two upper middle class women. She wanted to be more with people on the ground. So that was very interesting to find that out about her. But what, as a, as a niece, you know, and someone so close to her and all of a sudden writing this book, what, what were some of the things that, that you found out about her that all of a sudden you said, oh, my God, that was my aunt? <laughs> well, to to tell the truth, um, I was in a group of four uh, young black girls who um, started out in my high school as the first group of uh, black students. And I had no idea at the time what an impact on Pauli's work had um, added to the Brown versus Board of Education uh, Supreme Court case. Um, first of all, she at the time that um, the NAACP and Thurgood Marshall went before the Supreme Court, she was unaware that her materials had been used. And there's an interesting uh, story behind that. As a junior in law school, she wrote a thesis paper that was required uh, which basically talked about the 14th Amendment. She had also brought this up in class when, you know, they had various kinds of discussions. And she was really one of the first people to theorize that the 14th Amendment's guarantee of equal protection under the law could be used to challenge the laws that discriminated against people based on their race or their color, or their creed. And it was many years after that case was uh, had won before the Supreme Court, uh, Brown versus the Board of Education, that she found out um, that they had actually, her law professor, who was a part of that team that went before the Supreme Court, had actually found her paper in his office and used it with the team from the NAACP in their preparations before the Supreme Court. So this was um, one of the things that uh, makes me full of pride that she in any way was um, involved with that. But it's so interesting, what's so interesting... I remember when I found that out, you know, and it was Ruth Bader Ginsburg that actually gave Dr. Polly Murray the status that she deserved, but that she they used it and she never got credit for it, which is amazing. And so it's wonderful that this truth came out. Well, you know, there's so many fascinating things about her. And I'm going to take, do you mind we take, if you hold on with me, I want to take a, a, a short musical break here and play a little bit of song uh, by Nina Simone, I Wish I Knew What It Feels Like to Be Free. Because in Polly Mur- Dr. Polly Murray's life, as, as active as she was and as, as 
as wonderful as she was. I mean, she was one of the first Epis- women, the first woman Episcopalian me- minister. I mean, that was quite, quite a, quite an accomplishment. But I love this song by Nina Simone because in, on many levels, she was not free. You know, she was still held back by, by her, her own sexual orientation. She was held back just by her color. You know, all kinds of things happen. And that's, this song is a pile. So do you mind if we play this song? We'll come back and, and continue our conversation. I'd love to hear it again. Okay. I haven't heard it recently. Oh, I just love it, and I love Nina Simone. I mean, she's gone now, but she left. She left a legacy of music. So let's go ahead, Ken. Let's play. Let's play half of that. to be free you know even in today's world and you know 
Simone, really, Nina Simone had her challenges, let me tell you something. But she stood up, and she was not going to be silenced. Anyway, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces, and on the phone with me is my my wonderful, wonderful human being, Rosita Stevens-Holsley, who's the niece of attorney, civil rights activist, poet, and one of the co-founders of the National Organization for Women, Dr. Polly Murray. Well, welcome back. Welcome back, Rosita. How'd you like that song? It was beautiful. I mean, very inspiring. Don't you feel that on some levels, Dr. Murray was that she was she was not totally she could not totally be herself. And I know in in her in in your book, Polly Murray, the life of pioneering feminist and civil rights activist, which was written for the ages of 10 to 14. For me, I just found I just found it was just amazing. It was just amazing. How how were young people responding to this? And then talk talk about how you want your aunt to be remembered. What is important to you? Well, um, I think young people have responded very favorably to it. Um, Unfortunately, it's not required reading in schools. And in this climate, it's been a little difficult, um, you know, to present the book as an appropriate book for social studies and what have you. But um, the students that I have met along the way and that we made presentations for in assemblies and small groups have been extremely fascinated by her. Number one, that they had never heard of her before when they find out all of the things that are attributed, uh, you know, to her uh, accomplishments and achievements, but also um, they always say they're very inspired by the things that she thought were important, uh, by the fact that she was willing to stand up to anyone like Wright, the President of the United States, and express uh, her concern about lynching and things that were, you know, going on, in the, especially in the, commu- the community of colored people. And uh, and they asked many questions, which I think were the same kinds of questions I asked when I was young. And many of the issues surrounding their questions are still things that have not been fully taken care of or that government entities are trying to change. So they recognize that uh, we're going backwards somewhat uh, in terms of racial equity and feeling as though we are all equal as American citizens. And that was very, very important to Dr. Murray is the the idea of equality that each of us is equal in our own right. You know, before before you go into what we, what you hope people, you know, what you want people to remember about about your beautiful aunt is, I you said about uh, talking about you know her writing letter to President Roosevelt, and the one story that I just love is the fact that she did write President Roosevelt, and just by accident. Uh, uh, Ru- uh, Eleanor Roosevelt saw the letter she wrote and actually contacted uh, Dr. Polly Murray. Uh, talk a little bit about that relationship. I know you, your aunt invited you. I talked about at the beginning of the show, your aunt invited you to lunch, and there you went to lunch with her and Eleanor Roosevelt. So so talk about how that relationship evolved and what, what came of it. I mean, what, 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 what evolved from it? Well, it actually started out 
um, with a very, I'll call it, strong letter to the president. Uh, she was very concerned that the president, with, as she thought of him as the most powerful leader in the world, of the most powerful country in the world, seemed not to have any interest in the plight of, at that time, uh, we were called colored people. So she took it upon herself, as she always did, to put her feelings and express herself in writing. And um, we later called that confrontation by typewriter. She had uh, several typewriters that she used throughout her life, and she would sit down and just really openly voice her opinions. As I remember it, uh, one of the strong letters she wrote in the very beginning was about lynching. Uh, it was during a time in American history where in the South, Black men especially were being lynched for what seemed like no apparent reason. And if they were lynched, no law enforcement agency seemed to be concerned enough to bring justice to their family by looking into it. And this was going on and was rather prevalent in the South. So she wrote the president about that and said that with his power, he ought to be able to do something about it. And he ought to be interested in doing something about it. And she was told, basically, that um, the Southern politicians um, who had done nothing about it in their own states would not uh, support President Roosevelt with the initiatives he was interested in, including re-election. And, uh, and therefore, he would not address that with them. And as you mentioned, uh, with the many letters that she wrote to him, Eleanor Roosevelt did uh, get, you know, read some of them and responded to her. Her basic message was, well, we have to be patient. You know, that's not something that we can, uh, that can be accomplished right away. Um, just be patient. But she wasn't ready to be patient. <laughs> Actually, it ended up she had to be patient because the president was not going to uh, push for that. But in doing so, uh, she found out that Eleanor would read some of the letters, and so she began to write her directly. And one of the ways that Mrs. Roosevelt responded to her, not just with a personal note and an invitation to the White House to talk about it in person, but she would also print the letter or portions of the letter in her weekly column. And that was uh, read by many people. And so this became an important way for Aunt Polly to advocate and be an activist and to get... Um, you know, some support from the Roosevelt. So there were many things Mrs. Roosevelt supported her on, but she was not the president. And even if she talked to the president about it, uh, she could not always get his support for it. 
Wow, that is an amazing story. I mean, but it also, I like that, the typewriter by confrontation. You know, right now in our computers, we could actually dictate in. We don't even have to type. I can just imagine I was doing that one night, and I got I got very emotional as I was talking into the machine. So I can just imagine if Dr. Murray had had something like that, even more could have come out. Well, well Rosita, yeah. we are coming very quickly to the end of our segment. So I would like you to tell us, what do you want? want folks to remember about Dr. Murray. What, what, tell me two things that you think are so important people should be aware of. Well, I think that excuse me, they should um, definitely remember her work uh, with reference to Brown versus the Board of Education. I think now many people have learned about that. And um, she is getting credit, though it hasn't been formalized with the NAACP or the Supreme Court. But it's been in other people's research and their books. It's actually been quoted in a movie by uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and um, about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And so this is one of the things I hold dear. Another thing that I think is very exciting that sort of uh, shows how important she was, even though it did not happen during her time, is the fact that the U.S. Mint has decided that her work and the things that she accomplished are worthy of her being on the 2024 quarter. Ooh. And they have selected... Um, for I think it's about five years, five women. Some are well-known, like Eleanor Roosevelt and Maya Angelou, and others are, are people who have really done wonderful things for our country and helped build our country and inspire others, but they're not well-known. And um, so she will be on the U.S. currency sometime in 2024 and so of course i'm extremely proud of that well you have you have to let me know because i definitely want a series of those quarters well we're coming to the end of our segment but before we say goodbye i know that you recently gone to the u.n the united nations and i'd like you to talk just a little bit about that what what brought you to the united nations well, um, in my travels and in my speaking engagements, I've met, met so many wonderful people. And one of those people was Reverend Terry Afori of uh, Brooks School. She also um, is the Dean of Diversity, Equity, Equity and Inclusion um, at that private school. So... When I was there for Martin Luther King's birthday, um, we had quite a bit of time to talk with uh, each other as well as with the students. And she said, you know, I really think you would get so much out of uh, participating with the Commission on the Status of Women, uh, which is a part of this UN's annual um, program. And she helped me uh, quite a bit to do all of the paperwork um, in order to be uh, accepted. 
And I was able to get the National Organization for Women to be my sponsor. So along with various presidents and officers of now uh, groups all around the country, um, I was able to stand with them, even though I'm not an officer in the organization. And women from all around the world come to discuss the problems that affect most of us around the world. Uh, and so uh, it was set up because of COVID and the numbers. I think 8,000 people participated. Oh, my goodness. Uh, that you can participate uh, virtually in person or what they call hybrid, which is both. And that's what I did. And I must say I probably met three or four dozen people that, I'm still writing and collaborating with, and they've invited me to speak to their groups and to come to um, their meetings and to share Pauli Murray uh, with the world. And I'm very hopeful that next year I'll actually have a booth and make a formal presentation between the groups. How exciting. You know, Rosita, we are at the end of our segment. If you could tell people the, how to get a hold of you, how they can get the book, and anything else you'd like to say. Well, thank you for that opportunity. Um, my organization, Preserving Pauli Murray, LLC, um, that theme I've used for my social media. So to find me on Instagram, it's under Preserving Pauli Murray. To find me on Facebook, the same, and my website is preserving PaulieMurray.com. Uh, so that makes it easy for people um, to reach out to me uh, through the social media or to uh, write me at preservingpaulymurray at gmail.com. The books are sold at many independent bookstores. They're also at Barnes & Noble and on Amazon. And uh, so many people have written me and sent me copies of emails or letters that they have written their independent bookstores suggesting to them that it's very important that they get a copy of the book and look at it and to begin to include it on their bookshelves as well. So I'm so pleased with the people who've read the book and have referred it to other people. Well, I also love to talk about Aunt Pauli and her accomplishments, and I'd be glad to talk to any group um, well, you've, you you've know, done a like wonderful you've done a wonderful job on women's spaces, and thank you so much for being such a wonderful, wonderful guest, folks. You've been listening to uh, Rosita Stevens Holsley, who's a dynamic educator, writer, activist, and niece of attorney Dr. Polly Murphy Murray. Thank you so much, Rosita, and wishing you a wonderful, wonderful day. You're quite welcome.
welcome. Well, folks, have we're, a great week. Well, thank you so much, my love. This has just been an inspiring, an inspiring uh, conversation. And to my listeners, I want to remind you that tonight from 6 to 8.30, we're going to have a special Zoom. The National Women Organization, the Sonoma County Chapter, is going to be presenting Dr. Meeks, Dr. Catherine Meeks, Ph.D., a 2022 recipient of the President of President Joseph R. Biden's Lifetime Achievement Award for Service. And she's going to be talking about her book. It's a long, it's The Night is Long, But Life Comes in the Morning, which is Meditations for uh, Racial Healing. And I really encourage folks to go to... Uh, nowsonoma.org or go to www.womenspaces.com and you can find all the Zoom information. And a reminder also that on Saturday, March 25th from 1 to 3 p.m. at Courthouse Square, there's going to be a long-awaited protest. Uh, Who benefits from forever wars, uh, especially the ones that are based on lies? And I really want to thank Susan Lamont for being such a great guest, for coming into the studio and being with me. And actually and a big, big thank you to Rosita Stephen Halsley uh, for telling us all this information about her aunt, uh, Polly Murray. I mean, she is one of my heroes. I just, oh, it just gives me chills when I think about it. And just a reminder, uh, you've been listening to Women's Spaces. I'm your host, Elaine B. Holt. And all the information, all the websites and everything that went on today will be, you can find on www.womenssspaces.com. You can see all the information, all the websites, and also, hey, all uh, Ken is my webmaster, and he's been listing a lot of the poetry. Anyway, this is Elaine B. Holtz. You've been listening to Women's Spaces. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to being with you the next time. The previous Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, March 20th, 2023.